0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church.
1: Our passage for today is from Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But To detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane this temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in this charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they have found when I stood before the council other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case." Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. This is the word of the Lord.
0: The history of the early church in Acts records the unpredictable and unstoppable advance of the gospel of Christ. Unpredictable and unstoppable. Jesus had promised the disciples the Holy Spirit. And then he said, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the world. And true to his promise, the book of Acts unfolds how this gospel advances in unpredictable and unstoppable ways in the history of the early church. And really, you could easily say to this very day, you know, again and again, Christ kept his promise that they would be his witnesses. And, uh, and again, most unpredictable and unstoppable. You know, I, I read the accounts and I think, Well, that's not how I would have done it. (laughs) Like, well, who cares? But, well, you know, that's not how I would have, you know. uh, Think about unpredictable. Like, I thought Peter was the guy. Right? He was the guy. But then God, or Christ calls this Pharisee who murders Christians to come and carry the gospel to the nations. That's unpredictable. Um... Who would have thought that the gospel would go to Ethiopia uh, when, when um, Philip is told by the Holy Spirit to stand on a street corner and an Ethiopian official comes by and boom. It's unpredictable, this advance of the gospel. It's also unstoppable. You know, here's just, these are just samples. Uh, the gospel advances despite persecution of civil officials. Don't talk about this Jesus anymore. And the gospel advances. Despite the opposition of religious leaders, uh, believers increase in numbers. Despite the exposure of the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira having lied to the church about their giving. The gospel advances despite the persecution that killed Stephen. And the believers fled Jerusalem in every direction, carrying the gospel in their mouths and love in their hearts to bear witness to the world. And the gospel advances after the sharp dispute between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas goes to his direction, Paul goes on his direction, and the gospel advances. And over and over and over again in Acts, we see this record of the unpredictable and unstoppable advance of the gospel in the face of every kind of obstacle and even opposition. Now, this is good for us to bear in mind at such a time as this. When sharp disputes tear at the unity of the church and when scandal exposes the impurity of the church and when public opinion has substantially turned against Christ and against biblical truth and against Christians in general and at a time when who knows what kind of legal restrictions might be coming our way. This is, this is good for us to take to heart. It's good for us to bear in mind at such a time as this when we're, when we're moving toward the transition of three separate churches. We haven't voted on that yet, but, you know, the questions are coming in and they're in my own mind. So will this transition be a setback for the gospel? What about missions? What about church planting? What about evangelism? What about discipleship even here? Is this going to... This text, it's not just cold history. It's, it's an account of the early church, how Jesus is at work in the early church to advance the gospel for the glory of his name and for the good of his people. And uh, this text calls me to take heart, to trust Christ, the Lord of the church. All authority belongs to him. He's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it's a call to lean into the work of the gospel and just wait for him to work in unpredictable and unstoppable ways. So with that, let me pray. Father in heaven, thanks for this account. This is, this is a great account. It's, it's a, a beautiful sample of your work in the early church and throughout history. I pray you'd humble us And I pray you would grant us boldness. Humble us with your unpredictable, sovereign ways as you're at work advancing the gospel in and through our church, in and through our lives, in and through your people, and and embolden us. Embolden us. Give us boldness by your sovereign, unstoppable grace advancing the gospel day after day, year after year, overcoming obstacle after obstacle, and unite us in the, in the great work, I pray. Lift our heads in this text from this word. Give us faith and courage and boldness, and grant that we would lean in to the work of the gospel in this church and beyond. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My outline is kind of funny. I had to laugh. I thought, well, this isn't like three points. This is like three chapters. <laughs> My outline is three chapters. Uh, in, in this account, um, Paul, there's three T's. Paul's trip to Felix, Paul's trial before Felix, and Paul's teaching of Felix along with his wife, Drusilla, and the first point actually comes from the previous chapter, which, you didn't, which we didn't read, but let me just summarize it for you. For, so chapter 1, Paul's trip to Felix. Felix, the governor of, the, uh, of, of Judea, the province of Judea. Last week, we left off in Acts 23, right in the middle, and Tom Steller called it a cliffhanger. And so if you remember, Paul had traveled to Jerusalem, in obedience to the Lord Jesus, knowing that it would entail imprisonment and inf- afflictions. And sure enough, after being, being in Jerusalem just a few days, false accusations rose up Jewish leader, from Jewish leaders at the temple. Paul was grabbed, he was beaten, he was arrested. And the Romans actually arrested him to protect him from being killed by the Jewish opposition as a riot was fomenting about him. And, and now, so, so Claudius Lysias is this Roman tribune. He's a, he's a commander. And he is overseeing Jerusalem in his role, keeping the peace. He examines Paul and finds that there's nothing wrong with Paul. He's not done anything wrong, according to Roman law. And he finds out through, through Paul's nephew that 40 terrorists, 40 Jewish terrorists, have have made a vow not to eat anything until they kill Paul. So, Claudius, that's that's where it ended last week. (laughs) So there's the cliffhanger. These guys are going to kill Paul. They're not going to eat 40 of them. And here's the rest of that story. So, Claudius, not wanting the blood of Paul on his hands. Paul's a Roman citizen. Claudius he didn't want to be blamed for that. And, and Claudius neither wants to be blamed for some kind of a riot or unrest in Jerusalem. He could lose his job or worse for that. So he quickly arranges to whisk Paul out of Jerusalem and promptly orders. This is, this is overkill. 200 uh, soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen. Verse 23 of chapter 23. That's 470 soldiers to protect Paul to go 30 miles north to the city of Caesarea Philippi and meet with the governor up there. <laughs> he does not want anything to happen to Paul. <laughs> okay. Wow. So, Claudius sends Paul to Felix the governor. Now, this is, he's climbing up the ladder. Now, he's meeting with the governor of Judea, of which Jerusalem is part of Judea, but not all of it. So he's climbing up the, the, the uh, governmental ladder here. And Felix the governor agrees to meet with Paul. Now, chapter 2, Paul's trial before Felix. Five days after Paul arrived in Caesarea, the high priest and the Jewish elders came to press their charges against Paul. It's clear. They want him dead. I mean, it's not like he, he hurt our feelings and we think he should go to jail. It's like, we want him dead. They brought with them a, a man named Tertullus. Tertullus. He's a Spokesman, he's a prosecutor. He's like a lawyer. And the arraignment begins when Tertullus says this to the governor. Now I'm in verse 2 of our, of our text, chapter 24, verse 2. Well, since through you we enjoy much peace, he's speaking to, to Felix, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. Now, it was customary to speak to those in authority in complimentary and honoring ways. But but Tertullus here, he does so with, over-the-top flattery and falsehood. Let me explain. Felix, he he says, Felix, you brought about much peace. Well, Felix is known for, during his reign, insurrections constantly rose up. Jewish insurrections rose up, and he brutally and viciously put them down. So, for this Jewish lawyer to say, We just love the peace you brought. Flattery. Flattery, flattery, flattery. In fact, history records that Felix was so harsh of a leader that Nero, the Roman emperor, removed him for it. And you know, Nero is famous for his own atrocities. One ancient historian says of Felix since he was he he, he 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 was a slave once, he was a Roman slave once who 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 rose to the to the to the to the governorship. This historian says he exercised the power of a king with the mind of a slave. So Felix is brutal. He's brutal to the Jewish people. Tertullus is just putting on frosting, flattering him and then he continues pressing his charges against Paul verse 5. The first charge is that Paul is like a plague. This guy is like a plague. It's charges that he's he's dangerous. He's like a he's like a pandemic. He spreads upheaval and rioting among the Jews all over the world, everywhere he goes, destroying the all important Roman peace. Rome wants peace. They take over countries, they want peace there. I thought about this this Paul is a plague, thought, and I thought, you know, it's that's not unlike the perception of more and more. People in America toward Christians. You're a plague. You're a plague. Spreading your biblical convictions about right and wrong and sexuality, male, what is a female, marriage, what is a family sanctity of human life. To some, today we have become a dangerous ideology to be eradicated or at least vaccinated against a plague. So the first charge is Paul is a plague. Second charge, also in verse 5, Paul is the ringleader of a Jewish sect called the Nazarenes. Now, I take it the the name the Nazarenes is a pejorative name for Christians since Nazareth was the hometown of Jesus. And remember remember what the disciple Nathaniel uh, asked of his brother Philip. Can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, like Nazareth has this low spot. So he says... That's charge number two is Paul is a ringleader of this Jewish sect called the Nazarenes. It's a sect. And then the third charge, this is in verse 6, is that Paul tried to profane the temple. Now earlier the Jewish leaders had accused Paul of bringing Gentiles into the temple. And that was totally false. And so when that truth got exposed, then the charge kind of twisted like, well, he meant to. Well, he might. Instead of saying "Whoops, I guess we made that one up," he he was seen on the streets with Gentiles, and so the charge was he 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 uh, profaned the temple by bringing Gentiles into the temple. Totally false. So there are the three charges. The prosecution rests. The Jewish leaders not in agreement. Now Paul steps up for his defense. Felix the governor invites him to speak, and Paul begins in verse 10 of our text, chapter 24, with, with a statement of honor. But notice it doesn't have over the top flattery. Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. That's all he says. To the first charge, Paul, that Paul is like a plague causing upheaval wherever he goes, Paul replies in verse 11, you can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. He's been under arrest for at least five. I just got here, is what he's saying. Uh, In verse 12, and they did not find me disputing in the temple with anyone or stirring up a crowd either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Verse 13, neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. That's a big deal. We'll get to that in a second. But Luke tells us what actually happened in the, in the temple, in case you, you don't remember. It's in Acts 21. Uh, Paul had gone under seven days of purification before heading to the temple. And when the seven days were almost complete, Acts 21 27 says, Jews from Asia, likely Ephesus, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, laid hands on him, dragged him out, and began to beat him to death. So, like, Paul's the troublemaker? No. Paul's the guy who got beat up and dragged out of the temple. Paul's rebuttal, in a nutshell, is. I've been no threat to the peace in Jerusalem, nor in the temple, nor anywhere else in the city. Charge number two. He's the ringleader of a Jewish sect called the Nazarenes. Paul replies, verse 14. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. You see what he's saying? He's saying I'm not a leader of a sect. I believe all the, the law and the prophets. I believe all the Old Testament. I believe everything. I worship the God of our Father. I'm a Jew. And I see in Christ Jesus the fulfillment of all the promises of the coming Messiah for the salvation of his people. I'm the, I'm the one who believes it all is what Paul is saying. I'm not a sect leader. In fact, he adds, I believe in the judgment of God to judge the just and the unjust. This is interesting, isn't it? If you think about future judgment, that, that that's a reality, that every person has to stand before God, you'll live like Paul lives. So I strive to keep a clear conscience toward God and other people. Interesting. Heavenly-minded makes good earthly people. So that's Paul's rebuttal to charge number two. I've been no threat to Judaism. Rather, I, I, I believe in the fulfillment of Judaism in Christ Jesus and live accordingly. To the third charge, that Paul tried to profane the temple It's interesting. Tried to. Um, Paul replies in verse 17. After noting he'd been away from Jerusalem for several years. I came to bring alms to my nation and present offerings. See, this is so wonderful. I mean, Paul had planted churches, he had, he had gone back to visit these churches uh, throughout the region, and he as he went from church to church he collected donations for the poor in Jerusalem and, and, and this was a beautiful expression of the love of Gentile Christians it, for the Jewish people who were poor in Jerusalem, believers and unbelievers so, you know So, that he tried to profane the temple. No, he came with a, a, it sounds like a pretty sizable offering, to honor the Jewish people. (sighs) He had undergone all the required Jewish purification regulations fulfilling the Jewish ceremonial laws. So, that's his rebuttal to the to the third charge. Now, Paul, knowing that these accusations and charges, according to Roman law and Old Testament law, it's also true in the New Testament, requires eyewitnesses and cannot be admitted on the basis of hearsay. And so Paul names his direct accusers, as verse 18. He says, but some Jews from Asia, again, that's probably from Ephesus, they ought to be here before you to make an accusation should they have anything against me. But they're not. Verse 20, or else let these men, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem, themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before their council other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you this day. And you remember what happened there. He, he knew he had these Jewish leaders, Pharisees who believed in the resurrection and Sadducees who didn't. So when he shouted out, I'm here with respect to the resurrection, the Pharisees said, go, Paul, go. The Sadducees said, kill him. And pff, things get really messy there. <laughs> That's what happened. So in closing, Paul's saying, look, I've done no wrong against Roman law or against the peace in Jerusalem or against Judaism. Um, it's just this dispute about the resurrection that has caused this, these religious leaders to have this conflict with me. Chapter three now. That's the trial. That was chapter two. Chapter 3, Paul's teaching of Felix and his wife, Drusilla. You know, this is, this is unexpected and unstoppable. Felix closes the hearing by putting off Paul's accusers. He tells them that when the, the Roman tribune, the commander uh, Claudius comes from Jerusalem himself to testify, then, then Felix says, then I'll decide your case. I'll wait for him to come. Well, he never comes. So on the one hand, the charges don't persuade Felix that Paul has done anything wrong, but on the other, he doesn't release Paul. Paul remains a prisoner, kept in custody with an arrangement that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. Verse 23. So... Now, Felix the governor, we're told, knows about Christianity. We don't know how. Um, It could be through his wife, who's Jewish, Drusilla. She's his third wife, and she's the youngest daughter of King Herod Agrippa. He's the guy who chopped off James the apostle's head and was so boastful and blasphemous before God that God sent an angel and struck him dead and his body was eaten by worms. That's in Acts 12. So she's, that's her dad. <laughs> what, how's this going to go? So our text unexpectedly closes in chapter 3 with Paul meeting with Felix, the governor, and his wife, Drusilla, teaching them, it says about faith, Faith in Christ, righteousness, self-control, and coming judgment. I imagine. How does that all come together? He sits down with, with, with uh, Felix and Drusilla, and he says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures to bring us to God. Believe in him. Receive him. He, he, He has a righteousness to to give you should you receive him by faith. Your righteousness is garbage. Your sinfulness, self-control, you can't even stop your sinning. They were known for some hedonistic lifestyle as well as brutality And then he adds, and you know, there's a coming judgment when everyone will stand before God and you will either face him with the righteousness of Christ being forgiven and cleansed and washed and reconciled, or you will face him without Christ to your eternal harm punishment. Well, not at that, verse 25 says, Felix was alarmed when it came to that judgment piece. The word is afraid. It's the word from which we get the word phobia. Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. So then the, 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 this chapter 3 ends this account Paul before Felix in this way. I'm just going to read uh, verse 26. At the same time, Felix hoped that money would be given him by Paul, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix succeeded by Porcius Festus. Uh, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor. Felix left Paul in prison when he was released from the governorship. So there's another cliffhanger. Um, So is is it not interesting? So in the providence of God, Jesus had said, some of you will go before kings to testify about me. Some of you they will kill and not a hair of your head will be harmed. Paul's going before king, it actually says, and governors. Paul's talking to the governor, evangelizing the governor for two years. That's crazy. Felix is done. Paul stays in jail. And the new governor, Porcius Festus, takes over. And Zach Howard will take us there next week. Let me close. I mean, as I said in the beginning, Christ has been and is advancing the gospel in unpredictable and unstoppable ways. It's evident in the book of Acts, and I believe God would have us take heart that that's true today as well. None of us could have predicted the upheavals and societal conflicts and troubles that have flared up in the last few years. And of course, Bethlehem and believers have not been immune to these troubles. A worldwide virus impacted everyone beginning in 2020. Racial conflicts boiled over in 2020 and 2021. Social media has become a major influential source, force, in our world Roe has been overturned by the Supreme Court well at the same time pro-abortion convictions continue to jam their way into our media and into our awareness as the pro-abortion advocates are kind of mad like a I think of a beehive, like whack a whack-a-beehive. I mean, in 2019, you could not see this coming. You couldn't see it coming. But the historical account of Acts reminds us, take heart. Christ is advancing the gospel in unpredictable and in unstoppable ways. Christ is head of the church. He is Lord of all. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Christ is using believers like you, like you, to advance the gospel. And, you know, what might seem to you is... (laughs) ordinary ways, but in his providence and in his plan, I mean, the gospel's going where he wants it to go, like here, to the governor and his wife. You, you don't know. I, I heard somebody once do a little, little uh, reflection on, so how'd you become a Christian? I said, well, I went to camp because a girl went to camp. And I found Jesus instead of her, and she kind of drifted off the page. And, well, who, who bore witness to you? Well, there's this woman there. How'd she become a Christian? How'd she become a Christian? You just have all the threads of God's providence in gospeling us. It's really quite amazing. Unpredictable and unstoppable. And I just want you to, to take heart. Take heart. God is advancing the gospel. Christ is building his church in and through believers like you and me and this little church for the glory of his name. And he won't let up. He said so. Till glory. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your word. I mean, the twists and turns that the apostle Paul goes through Now he's in Jerusalem, and and the word is, now let's go to Rome. I mean, he's under arrest. How does that happen? Just praise you for your providential, sovereign, gracious work of advancing the gospel and blessing your people through the ages and even to this very day. May we take heart, lift our heads, and lean in as your people here in this In this day, put your word in our mouths and love in our hearts that we would speak the gospel to one another and to those who don't know you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading the passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples